You're listening to the weekly podcast for Hillcrest Covenant Church. For more information, go to hillcrestcovenant.org. Um, this morning, what I want to do is I want to actually start off by telling a couple stories, if I can share those with you, of some kind of ordinary days that, that started off in my life that, that turned out to be extraordinary. And I'm sharing these stories because, number one, I, it's, it's just they're, they're cool stories of just seeing how God gets a hold of our lives and he changes us. But I'm also sharing these stories because I believe that God is not just working through my stories, he's working through yours as well. And that all of us in this room, I think, can, could probably just stand up here all day and, and hopefully share some stories um, from our past. But also, I am praying, uh, like with all my heart, and I know our staff is, that, that um, there would be stories in the future from your life, of God at work, of God moving in your life, and God um, maybe doing stuff that started off as just an ordinary day, and all of a sudden God shows up in a crazy way, and and you are changed because of it. Uh, The first story I want to share is actually a story about Ketobin, uh, the video you saw from the Kettlers, uh, our Advent Conspiracy. Uh, My wife and I actually had a chance to go to Ketobin a few years ago, and, and my wife would actually tell you that she's a nurse today because of the experience that she had of just being there, uh, the way God worked in her heart. Uh, never in a million years did, did she go on that trip or did we go on that trip and she was thinking, well, God, I bet God's going to call me into being a nurse on this trip. Like it just happened. Like Lord just used it. It was cool. But the story actually I want to tell you this morning has to do with a man that actually works at Catobin and uh, his name is uh, Bennard. And Bennard is this man who I met, uh, I, w- I woke up, and, and I don't know if you can have an ordinary day when you're in Africa, if you've been there, um, it, it is, it is um, one of the most amazing places uh, just I've ever been. Uh, I hope everyone gets a chance to go to Africa and, and just be around the people, they're incredible. Uh, and, and we happened to be um, at the children's home, and the day kind of started off as kind of ordinary, normal day, had coffee, breakfast uh, together. And then we went to the children's home. And when we went to the children's home, it was one of the most amazing experiences ever. Uh, and, I, and I know I, I, you hear me talk, I say those kind of things all the time, like it was the best thing ever. You know, like it just, you hear that from me. Uh, this truly was unbelievable, amazing. Uh, because we, um, I remember getting out of the vehicle that we were traveling in. And as we we're walking up to Catobin, there was um, this line of kids, kind of like the aisle right here. Imagine kids on both sides of the aisle with the most wonderful, smiley faces and, and the most welcoming spirit you could ever imagine. And as we walked down the middle of this aisle, as we were walking into Catobin, the kids were all screaming at the top of their lungs these welcome songs, um, singing at the top of their lungs, actually might be a better way of saying it, these beautiful welcome songs of welcoming us into this incredible community called Catobin. And so we walked in, and the kids followed us in, and I, and I, and I met, um, you know, Bennard, who was the maintenance man at Catobin. And, and as Bennard was giving my wife and I and our group a tour of Catobin, uh, we, we got to the point where I just, I, I noticed that I didn't see any water anywhere. And it kind of stirred in my heart, and so I just said, hey, Bennard, uh, again, naive guy, first time ever in Africa and in certain a set, setting like this. I said, hey, Bennard, question for you. Um, where do you guys get your water from? And Bennard did one of the coolest things I've ever seen someone do. He raised his hands to the sky and he said, we trust that the Lord will provide. 
We trust that the Lord will provide. His faith was so strong. He said, literally, we trust that the Lord will provide rain. And what, what he was saying was, we hope and pray that the Lord provides rain because when the rain comes, it hits the roofs of our um, of, of Ketobin and it goes into the gutters and it goes from the gutters into this huge cistern that we have. And we have a purification system in the cistern that purifies the water and we're able to drink it. You guys, something happened in Bennard's heart. Like Bennard was like this incredible man and God had done something in his heart because he had so much trust in the Lord. The Lord had been so working in his life. He had so much trust that literally he was trusting the Lord for daily water. I'll tell you what, that spoke to my heart. This ordinary day that started out became very extraordinary because I saw the faith of one man and what Jesus had done in his life and the change that he made. Another story, one I've shared before, um, but might be new for some of you. And Grant, if I say anything, if I miss anything, you can correct me again like you did the other week. That'd be awesome. Grant Mong knows all my stories. So um, this also started as a sort of an ordinary day. Um, I was flying from Kansas City, and I was actually on my way to Anchorage, Alaska, which is not ordinary, but I was speaking at a place called Covenant Bible Camp. Our denomination has this beautiful, wonderful camp in Unalakleet, Alaska. There's no running water, no electricity. It's just kind of run on generators. And there are kids from all the different villages off the road system from the Covenant churches that come to this camp. And it's just this safe place for kids to come and to be real about the heartache and the pain in their life and to be real about, okay, what's the Lord saying to you. And myself and Tim Sacconi, a lot of you know Tim, uh, were scheduled to be the speakers at this camp. And um, fortunately for Tim and Maria, um, they found out the day before we were leaving that, uh, that they were going to be adopting a son. Uh, they had been in the adoption process and they got that wonderful phone call um, that said, hey, we are telling you that whatever you're doing now, you need to come to Michigan because you're going to have a baby tomorrow which was really, really cool. And so Tim had called me and told me, hey, bro, like, I know we're going to kind of split up the speaking, but you're going to have to take it. No offense, but, you know, I need to be where I need to be. Of course, that was totally cool. No big deal, except for the fact that now instead of speaking seven times, I had to speak 14 times in one week. And so it became kind of like this overwhelming, like, okay, Lord, what are you going to do? And so I get on this plane in Kansas City, and when I go to sit in my seat, there's actually someone sitting in the seat that I'm supposed to sit in, and I didn't really care. It wasn't a big deal. Just flying from Kansas City to Minneapolis. So I asked the person, where's your seat? And so they pointed back to their seat, and I went and sat down. And I remember when I sat down in the seat, there was a woman sitting next to me, and then there was a woman against the window. And so we made a little small talk, you know, hey, how's it going, you know, whatever. Um, just had a short little conversation. And then as the plane took off, I kind of went into task mode. I'm very much not a task person. I, I, I would much rather just hang out with someone and talk with someone. But I realized, okay, I got to write seven talks in a few hours. And this, you know, so, so I get out this notebook I have. And I started off by just reading through different scripture texts. And I was reading through it. And as I was reading through it, I get this tap on my shoulder. And at this point, you know, everything was pretty ordinary. But at this point, I get a tap on my shoulder. I look over, and it's the woman sitting against the window. And she looks at me, and there are rivers of water flowing down her face. And she says to me, thank you. Okay, now I don't know, 
you know, how you handle awkward situations, but I didn't really know how to handle this one very well. And, 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 but I mean, literally like she was ugly crying. I was telling the first service, um, uh, you, you know, you go to this service, but man, last week during the first service, I was ugly crying, being vulnerable. I was ugly crying because my heart was just broken over just what has been going on here at our church. And, and, and just, you know, more than anything, just trusting the Lord through all of it. And, and so I was ugly crying last week, and I, it was probably similar to what she was doing. Um, just, just there was a lot of emotion coming out. And, and so she looks at me and she says, thank you. I said, what do you mean thank you? And again, she's sitting next to the window. I'm on the aisle, and there's someone between us, okay? So, so it was certainly awkward for the girl between us. And she says, I want to say thank you because I just gave my life to Jesus. I was like, what? Again, like awkward but super cool now, okay? So awkward went from awkward to awkward and cool. And I was like, what do you mean you just gave your life to Jesus? I don't even know your name. You don't know my name. Like, what are you talking about? And she said, well, let me tell you a story. She said, this whole week, I've been in Kansas City. I got here on Monday, and one of my best friends got married. And on Monday when I got here, we went out and partied and partied and partied down at Westport. And she said, I hardly remember anything about Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday or Sunday because every night we went out and I drank way too much. And I don't remember much about the week at all. But here's what I remember. I remember every single night before we went out, I felt like I, there was this voice speaking to me. So well, what do you mean? She said, well, I felt like there was this voice saying, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this. It's going to be okay. I love you. You don't have to do this. And she said, every single night I heard the same voice and I heard the same message. And every single night I blew it off and I pretended like it wasn't happening. And she said, and as I'm sitting here on the plane, I was, she was drinking a glass of wine, and she had just told me she, not only did she drink too much, but she was an alcoholic. Uh, she said, I heard that voice again. And that voice just told me to look over. So I listened to it. She said, I ignored it all week. I listened to it this time. And I just started reading the Bible verses on your page. And I just want to say thank you because I gave my life to Jesus. Yeah, crazy. And then she's like, what do I do now, right? And I'm like, oh man, okay, here's what you do now, number one. And I, so we just, like the rest of the flight, we start talking about what this means to follow Jesus, what it means to have a relationship with Jesus that changes everything about your life. It was a very ordinary day for her. It was a very ordinary day for me until Jesus showed up and did something crazy in our midst. And literally the rest of the flight, I'm sharing with her about like trying to find friends and who do you know that loves Jesus and who do you know that can walk with you and who can connect with you and help you take some next steps to just continue to love Jesus and also to share this story with other people. And we walked off the plane and we walked all the way to where I couldn't go past security because she lived in Minneapolis and I was going to Anchorage. And so I said goodbye and, and, and just trusted the Lord in this moment. And this morning, what we are going to do is we are going to talk about an ordinary day that happened with the shepherds and how an extraordinary thing happened in the midst of the shepherds being shepherds and how the ordinary event changed everything about their life and made a difference. Not just a difference of like a cool story, but a, a difference that changed their entire future forever. If you have your Bibles, I want to actually read this story for us. It's in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. 
It says this, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Chris, think about this. The shepherds that, are, that they're talking about in this story were the recipients of the most stunning, most amazing announcement in the history of the world. The Savior Jesus was going to be born, and this Savior was going to change everything from this point forward. I mean, could you imagine what it would have been like to be the shepherds? Again, just put yourself, just imagine right now, put yourself in the shoes of the shepherds. Could you imagine what it would have been like to be the shepherds? They probably didn't realize at the time what was happening. But this great news that they were privileged to hear was the greatest announcement ever. And after the angels left, I believe these shepherds had one of two options. Number one, they could have looked at each other which I'm sure they did. And, 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 and they could have talked about this incredible, like, oh my word, can you believe what we just experienced kind of moment, right? I mean, you know, like us guys, we're really guilty of like one-upping each other on stories, right? Like one guy tells a story and another go, oh yeah, well, what about this? You know, like the shepherds had probably the greatest one-upping story of all time, right? Like whatever they heard from that point forward, they're like, oh, I got that one beat. I got that one beat. Nobody had landed on the moon yet, so like they, you know, they could share this crazy story. They could have done that. They could have sat around, and option number one was, wow, that was pretty cool, and then they went back to their normal life. Option number two was they could look at each other, talk about this incredible story and this incredible moment that just happened, and then went and saw Jesus. And we know, we know the story and how the story ends, right? Like we know that the shepherds didn't choose option number one. They didn't just sit around and go, well, that was kind of cool. We'll be able to tell that one for a while. No, they didn't do that. They chose to go and see Jesus. But what I want to do this morning actually is I want us to just pretend for a moment that they actually didn't go to see Jesus. Let's just pretend for a moment that the shepherds decided for option number one. Because in reality, because of the life of a shepherd, they had a lot of built-in excuses that they could have used that would have helped support the idea of option number one. And so I want to share this morning, actually, four possible excuses that the shepherds could have used. Now, we know they didn't do it, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I want to talk about four possible excuses the shepherds could have used. And the reason why I want to talk about these possible excuses is because I believe you and me use these excuses all the time and why we don't go to Jesus. 
And I think it's important that we are honest about these excuses, but also I don't want us to, I want us to hear these, but I don't want us to just live in these, these excuses. I want us to get past these excuses. Guys, as a church, I want to see us like do things that you and I can't even explain. I want God to do something in our midst that all of us don't just sit around and go, well, that was kind of cool. We'll be telling that story for a while. I want something to happen that we sit around just like the shepherds who go, man, because we went to be with Jesus, he showed up in crazy, amazing ways. And we can't ever take any credit for it because we were with him and he changed us. And so I want to look at those four excuses together. And the first excuse that I believe the shepherds could have used in this moment is that they were not important enough. It would have been super easy for the shepherds to all look at each other and say, man, there's no way we can go to Jesus because, man, we're shepherds. We're shepherds. You know, it's easy for us to have this image of, of shepherds, but the reality is that shepherds were borderline social outcasts. They didn't fit in with the culture around them. They were wanderers. They were drifters. Society didn't have much room for people like them. They were super low, if not the lowest, on the social ladder. They were known as dishonest people who often took their flocks to graze in other people's land. It was not a profession that anybody ever grew up saying, I want to be a shepherd. They were so looked down upon that they couldn't even testify in a court of law. Being a shepherd meant that you lived in somewhat isolation, if not a lot of isolation, from the greater population. It involved cold nights, it involved lots of rain, it involved fighting off dangerous creatures. In perspective of most people in society, a shepherd was not considered to be someone that mattered a whole lot, if at all. With all due respect to anyone that works at Hallmark, they were not the Hallmark pleasant, the pleasant Hallmark faces we're used to seeing on cards this time of the year. And also with all due respect, if, you were a mark, if there was a marketing plan for how we're going to get this message out, most marketing companies probably would have done something a little different than go to shepherds to make this announcement. They would have suggested to the angels, maybe instead of going to the shepherds, you should go shouting from the mountaintops. Or you should go down the streets of Jerusalem shouting to people and making sure and telling them to wake up. Everybody needs to hear this message. Or maybe the angels should have just gone to the temple and told all the religious leaders what God was doing. Or gone to the governor and let him know something incredible was about to happen. And there's history for this. You think about it. Like when Moses, you know, when Moses was born, he didn't start, they didn't make the announcement to shepherds or anyone like that. God delivered him straight to the top, right to Pharaoh. But the angels, instead of telling somebody important, they announced the Messiah's birth to a ragtag bunch of shepherds. That's not what most marketing companies probably would tell them to do. But that's the way God wanted to do it. You see, it would have been so easy for the shepherds to write themselves off when the angels showed up as people that were not very important. But that's not what they did. And from this perspective, it would seem as if God chooses people in society that aren't good enough. God chooses people in society that a lot of people would overlook. A lot of people that might feel like outcasts, feel ignored. 
One of my heroes in life is Mike Iaconelli. Mike has written a lot of books and, and has had a real influence. Ooh, I kind of feel like we're at a concert right now. I like it. It's good. I'm not going to sing like Janie, though, so don't, you don't want that. But Mike Iaconelli said this, and I think this fits with, with uh, the shepherds. He said, the grace of God is dangerous. It's lavish, excessive, outrageous, and scandalous. God's grace is ridiculously inclusive. Apparently, God doesn't care who he loves. He's not very careful about the people he calls his friends or the people he calls his church. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's what? Masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's, say it again, masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. Hillcrest, if you are here today and you are feeling like you are not important enough for God to be able to use, if that's an excuse you use for not going to be with Jesus, I want to encourage you and remind you, when God looks at you and he looks at me, he uses the word masterpiece to describe who he made you to be. The second excuse that I believe the shepherds could have used is they didn't look the part. Remember, this was not a nine-to-five job being a shepherd. It literally meant that you lived with the flocks. Shepherds didn't look good. They didn't smell good. They used crude and harsh language. They were uneducated. They were unsophisticated. There was not a need to be clean or even smell nice. It would have been so easy for the shepherds to assume that they were in no condition to be with the Messiah. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at an outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Heart. Some of us in time... Some of us um, at times, oftentimes, think about this way too much. We think we don't look the part. We don't know how to play the game. We know some things about our past all too well. And we think that is what should disqualify us from going and being with Jesus. For many people, their past is something that haunts them. And it haunts them daily makes them feel like they're unworthy. And the forgiveness that God offers is offered for everybody else but them. 1 John 1.9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful. He is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all our wickedness. New Testament also says, when we were sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say he died for us once we all figured it out and once we got our lives looking nice and neat and perfect. No, he says when we, while we were sinners, he died for us. Instead of the shepherds using the excuse that they didn't look the part, they followed God's leading. They listened to his voice and they went to be with Jesus. Excuse number three that I believe the shepherds could have used but chose not to 
was they were not religious enough. They weren't religious enough. And I put religious in quotes. Geographically, Bethlehem, Bethlehem was only eight miles from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was where the temple was. It was the center for all of Jewish worship. There were animals that were destined to be offered as sacrifices in the temple. And so when traditional festivals would take place, when feasts would take place, and sacrifices took place, these shepherds would not have been able to attend. But in a weird sort of way, their flock would because they were being sacrificed. Someone had to hang out with the flocks. And they were not able to attend regularly in these religious festivals that were centered at the, at the temple because of this. And no one would have really minded because of the way the people treated shepherds, the way people looked down on them. It would have been so easy for the shepherds to consider themselves not holy or religious enough. Society and religious people in the temple considered them religiously unclean. In Jewish traditions, to fully participate in religious activities, you had to undergo certain religious rituals and to attend certain festivals and service to be considered clean and acceptable to God. But because of the shepherd's work schedule and their constant migration, they could not attend these regular services and perform the necessary rituals of purification. Thus, the shepherds were considered unclean. And to make matters worse, a person in right standing with God couldn't even touch a shepherd, otherwise they too would be considered unclean. They weren't allowed to go in the temple, and if they did, they would get those kind of looks that nobody wants to get in church or anywhere. That's who the shepherds were. They were outcasts. They were overlooked. They were ousted by the religious establishment. They weren't good enough. At least so they were taught. They were overlooked and underappreciated. Romans 3, verses 28 through 30 say this. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles, or if I could add, shepherds. Instead of using the excuse that they were not religious enough to go and be with Jesus, they didn't use that excuse. They went to be with Jesus, and I appreciate that. Excuse number four is that the shepherds that they could have used was they were way too busy. The shepherds were too busy. You see, God met the shepherds when they were literally least expecting to be met. Remember, the angel came to the shepherds when they were tending to their flocks by night. It was their job to take care of sheep. And let's suppose that they felt like they were, they were important enough and then they didn't smell bad and they were religious enough. They still were busy people. The middle of the night was when most predators were active. The middle of the night was when the threat of a thief coming to steal was at its highest point. The middle of the night was quite possibly the worst time that you could ever leave your flock. You could argue that the shepherds, in leaving their flock, did something that was quite irresponsible. And it would be easy for the shepherds to consider themselves too busy to go to the Messiah. 
Of all four of these excuses, this is the one that hits home for me the most. And maybe it hits home for you too. It's easy for us in the world we live in to almost wear busyness like a badge of honor. That we're so busy doing different things. We can even be so busy doing church stuff that we miss out on the message. I remember Garth Bolander, uh, when I started here at Hillcrest, Garth was the senior pastor. And the first day I started at Hillcrest, you know what Garth told me? I never forgot it. He said, here at Hillcrest, we walk the halls slowly. I was a 22-year-old guy, just graduating from college. And man, that sunk in. That sunk in. We walk the halls slowly. Like, people matter. You matter. We matter to each other. And so, so like, like when we think about being so busy, oftentimes we can so, be so busy that we're going a million miles an hour that we don't notice each other. Part of me kind of likes, I'm giving you all the benefit of the doubt when I say this, by the way. Part of me kind of likes the fact that when the service starts at 1045, half of you, if not more, aren't even in here. And I'm thinking, you know what, that's cool. I bet Garth got to them too and said, we just walk slowly in the halls because we're about relationships. <laughs> Being present with Jesus, hear this, being present, fully present with Jesus was the most important thing that, that anyone could do with the life that they've been given, including the shepherds, being present with him. And so even though their life was busy, it, wasn't, it didn't trump the fact that Jesus wanted them to be with him. And here's the kicker. The shepherds, as I said earlier, they didn't just walk away with a cool story to tell their shepherd buddies. Now listen to the words of Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. When the angel had returned, when angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a manger. And hear these words, hear these three words. After seeing him, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about his child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Imagine being a shepherd, being overlooked your whole life, all these excuses in your head. And when you start telling people about this message, people were astonished. Imagine being there. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their thought flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. It was just as the angel had told them. These shepherds, these human beings, these incredible creations of God had a new meaning for their life. Soon the whole world, including us, would celebrate the coming of this child. But for now, only the shepherds knew what had happened in Bethlehem. The result of the response, the result of their response was incredible. They couldn't keep the message to themselves. Hillcrest, if we can't get past our excuses. It stunts our growth. And I don't mean numerically as a church. I mean that too. But I mean it stunts our growth with Jesus. Our excuses are so lame and I'm one of them. 
Our excuses are so lame. Like the shepherds had all, like way more, way more, way more reasons to use these excuses. And yet they went to be with Jesus. You know, look around this room. I see some empty chairs. You know, you know what that makes me think of? It makes me think of Larry. It makes me think of Pat. It makes me think of a bunch of my buddies that I know if they were ever open to coming to church and sit in one of these open seats, it'd probably be Tuesday. And I can think of all sorts of excuses in my head on why I shouldn't invite my friends to church. And they're going through my head. And I promise you, Jesus isn't putting those excuses there. And the reality is, is that people are never more open to coming to church than on Christmas Eve or Easter. And you and I have an incredible opportunity to push aside, to put what we're talking about right here into practice, to push aside our excuses and to say, Lord, who do you want me to invite on Tuesday to come here and experience what it means to follow Jesus? And I would encourage you, just like I'm encouraging myself, to push aside the excuses. Because when people see Jesus for who he is, when people look across someone's shoulder and just start reading his word, it's so powerful it can change their life forever. Frederick Buchner says this, once we have seen God in a stable, we can never be sure to what lengths he will go in his wild pursuit of humankind. Once we have seen God in a stable, we can never be sure to what lengths he will go in his wild pursuit of humankind. So let me ask you this. I'm asking myself the same question. What's keeping you from Jesus right now? What's keeping you from coming to him, from, from, from going to where he has called you to go, from listening to his voice and trusting his voice with all of your being and all of your life? You and I were created. We were created to be in this kind of relationship where God speaks to us, we listen, and then he uses us. He speaks through us to point people to him. I want to invite Daniel and the worship team to come forward. And as they come forward, I just, I've got a couple questions for us. Have you made excuses in your life and have never gone to Jesus? Have you been to Jesus before? Have you seen Jesus? Have you gone to Jesus before? But it's made no impact in your life because you couldn't get past the excuses. If we were really honest with ourselves, we all long for something beyond the ordinary. You weren't created to be ordinary. I wasn't created to be ordinary. But oftentimes our daily routines make ordinary just too easy. My prayer for you and for me is that through the pain and the heartache, through the ups and the downs, through all the emotions of life, that when God speaks to you, when he shows up, when a bunch of angels show up, or however he chooses to speak to you and to speak to me, that you and I would follow the example of the shepherds. 
that we would push aside the excuses and that we would go and be with Jesus. Because one glimpse is all it takes. And God's gonna use you and he's gonna use me. Not because of anything great that we can do, but because of what he can do through us. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this church. God, I thank you for the ways that you speak to us. God, I thank you for the example of the shepherds that trusted your voice, that went where your voice called them to go. And that was right to your son. Lord, I I even pray for, for our lives right now, God. Lord, as we are thinking about our own lives and we're thinking about what it means to follow you, And Lord, for anyone in this room right now that, that is feeling the pressure and, 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 and even has, has lived into some of these excuses, God, I just pray in the name of Jesus that through your power, God, that, that we would offer these excuses up to you, not as an excuse of why we can't get to you, but we just ask you to take it from us. And we humbly offer our life to you. And we listen to your voice. And we go where you call us to go. God, we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Hillcrest. 